Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos makes the Sonos One smart speaker, and you can get 10% off of an order of $2,500 or less of a smart speaker for any of the products on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions, and you can get it by going to Sonos.com and using the promo code CANADA10. That's Canada10. This episode is also brought to you by Summer Camp, Camp Turnisol, where your kids can learn French while they enjoy summer camp. Since 2001, they have been providing French camps in the GTA for tens of thousands of kids aged 4 to 14. There are 17 campuses in the GTA. There's an overnight French camp in Bracebridge. There's a 13-day trip to Quebec. You will watch your kids' French skills skyrocket over the summer at Camp Trenisol. And you'll get $20 off of your first order at camptea when you use the promo code CANADALAND. That's camptea promo code Canada land. Story 
story I told you about a couple of weeks ago on shortcuts, you might remember this. It was about this really frightening group, the 3% alt-right paramilitary group that's proliferating in Canada. The reason I was talking about it is because it had been covered by the CBC on Wendy Mesley's new-ish show, The Weekly, where she presented this investigation. And I think that anybody watching this would have thought that this was a CBC exclusive investigation, original journalism by the CBC. And the reason why I talked about it on Shortcuts is because it was not an original CBC investigation. In fact, Vice had broken this news months before. McLemoreau had done his own independent investigative reporting and it had broken. It was published. It had probably been mentioned on Canada Land, and here it was months and months later, CBC picking it up. And that kind of thing happens so often that I almost hesitated to even talk about it. If we talked about those stories, we would talk about them every single week. And it's often the CBC, but it's not only the CBC. The only reason why that one got covered at all is that usually nobody really complains in public about it. And this time it was noticed by people who pointed out, I mean, it had been published, it had been discussed, it wasn't a small story. And a lot of people, journalists, some of them, who probably have relationships with CBC that they value, well, they had the courage to just say, come on. And once that happened, Vice's editor in Canada, Josh Visser, politely, and I think in a restrained manner, called out the CBC for doing this. So the conversation was already well underway when we brought it to shortcuts, and I kind of figured that that was enough because, again, it happens all the time. So when I found out that our editor had assigned a story to our frequent freelance reporter, Graham Gordon, where he was going to look into these very frequent occurrences of CBC taking credit for other people's work or just not crediting people for their work, presenting journalism as their own that other people had done, I kind of wondered what the point was. It's the kind of thing that has just become so normalized that I stopped thinking of it as a story. Well, Graham went ahead and started asking people about this. And to my surprise, they were really ready to talk. This was something new. Usually, while people snipe about this and gripe about this in private, mock the CBC, get angry with the CBC, it's hard to get people to speak up about it in public. But this time around, it was like the dam broke. And not only was Graham able to get a lot of stories of this happening, but he was able to get on-the-record quotes from really well-known and respected journalists who had had enough. We published his story last week, and it in turn inspired another wave of revelations and even confessions about this, I guess, endemic process of repeating other people's work and not attributing it perfectly. And as that conversation evolved, I started to look at this a little bit differently. The kind of excuses that I've heard for years and years and years, everybody does it, it's not just the CBC, the reader doesn't care. Who cares who wrote the news story? It's insider baseball. Nobody cares how the sausages get made. These credit issues are just about vanity and ego. All of that stuff. I started to realize that that's just the kind of talk that we use to normalize something that shouldn't be happening. And as this stuff got discussed and as people brought our attention to even more cases of this, I started to see why it actually does matter. Denying journalists credit for the work that they do it's not just something that affects their egos or hurts their feelings. And it's not even just something that hurts their careers, which it does. It actually affects the news itself. 
And that became most clear to me when Graham Gordon found a couple other examples of news stories that the CBC reported where they did not properly credit the journalists who broke them, where that lack of credit actually had an impact on the audience. Graham's going to join me in a moment. He's going to tell us what those stories were and why the lack of proper credit mattered. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Michael Regali, Chris Novak, Chris Olive, Laura Southcott, Barbara Reed, Matt Devlin, Josh Diamond, and Tabitha Tumback. My name is Tabitha, and I support Canada Land because after hearing all the same news stories being covered in the same light from mainstream news outlets, Jesse and his guests are either covering something the other guys aren't, or they're covering the same stories but doing a better job of it by giving an in-depth analysis or offering a new perspective. And this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, our founding sponsor. The internet has made it possible to be self-employed, to be employed from anywhere, to own a small business. People are able to work in really interesting new ways. Five or ten years ago, you know, people might look down at you if you were self-employed. I know that people look down on me. No more. Something like one in three people are now self-employed, and it's predicted by 2020 that this is going to be like 40% of the workforce. It's really a relief to have something that's built for you and your interests, and it's just evolved around the demands and needs of the self-employed or small business person or freelancer. So it's become more than just an excellent best-of-class invoicing tool. It is the way to manage your time, manage your clients, manage money coming in, going out. Go and have a look at freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. And for 30 days, you can give it a whirl for free. Just say that you found out about it from CanadaLand in the How Did You Hear About Us section, because I'd appreciate that. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. 
Finally, this episode is brought to you by Sonos. Thanks to the Sonos One smart speakers in my house, my children are under the impression that music works like this. You ask a black box to play you a song and the black box speaks to you and plays you that song. What will that mean for them, for their personal growth and development as they discover new kinds of music? I don't know. I'm just here to talk about a speaker. The Sonos Smart One speaker sounds terrific. It is integrated into your internet-ready house, so you can control the lighting and the temperature in different rooms. You can send something you're listening to in one room to the next. You can ask it to play podcasts. You can ask it for traffic updates. It's just going to get smarter and better. Get a Sonos One and get 10% off of your first order doesn't matter how much you get, as long as it's under $2,500, you'll get 10% off. Can't combine that offer with any other offer. It's a limited time offer, and it's for listeners of this podcast. So you got to go to Sonos.com and use the promo code CANADA10. That's Canada10 at Sonos.com. I'll confess that when I found out that Jonathan had assigned you the story of kind of like extrapolating on this idea of CBC failing to give people credit, I thought like... It's going to be kind of obvious, and that's just the way it is. And the moment when I kind of realized that maybe you were onto something was when I found out that you got this quote from Robert Fife, who is maybe the senior most political reporter in the country and the Globe and Mail's Ottawa bureau chief. Top investigative journalist, I would say. Yeah, and the guy, I mean, scandals from Duffy to just just a a, a key newsbreaker in Canada for many years. And it was really rare to see him going on record, uh, to see any journalist going on record with criticism of the CBC like this. And here's what he said about the CBC stealing credit. They do it all the time. Just last week, Globe and Mail reporter Sean Silkoff had an exclusive on new intellectual property policy two days ahead of the announcement. The following day, it was, quote, CBC has learned the same story that had already been published on the front of the Globe and Mail's report on business. In our bureau, says Fife, we tend to shake our heads and chuckle at how often CBC uses the CBC has learned on other news organization scoops. That's pretty damning. Pretty damning. Yeah. This is sort of like everyday business, CBC just failing to credit or presenting something as their own. And if we can kind of trace back what happened differently this time, it does trace back to the Wendy Mesley story about the three percenters that Mac had done for Vice earlier. But what changed this time was that I think Josh Visser of Vice, the editor, came forward publicly. I mean, other people said it first, but to actually hear it from the editor of Vice saying, this isn't cool. And I think he did so in a very restrained way. And then the floodgates burst open and that allowed you to, I think, get, um, you know, kind of an incredible amount of on the record criticism for your story. And then your story in turn, I think, generated a lot more people coming forward with these complaints. Some journalists in the past, they have brought it up with like one or two tweets, right? But they kind of just shrugged it off and they're like, oh, that's just the way things are, right? That's the status quo. Yeah, there's that. And and often there's a certain coyness where, and some of it comes up here where people are kind of like, they want it to be known that they notice this transgression, but they don't necessarily want to blast the CBC. Well, and they work for a news organization too, right? So usually the policy is you don't speak ill of your competitors openly, right? I don't know if that's a matter of like official policy as, as much as it is just like smart career management in a field where there are not that many places that can hire you and yeah. to blast the CBC may be costing you an opportunity down the line or, or if you ever well, want to go on yeah. a CBC panel again. I mean, some places might have policies that you're not allowed to criticize, uh, though we've done pretty well getting people to come on here and talk openly about the media. Um, I think it's more of a cultural practice within the industry. But what I want to do, I think, just to kind of like convey the extent of this and and how much this conversation has been generated by the Vice 3% incident and by your reporting on this. Graham, why don't you start by reading this tweet 
by Emily Mathieu from the Toronto Star. Sure. Uh, this has been bugging me. Last year, the CBC followed one of my stories. They did their own interviews, but borrowed very heavily from my work and even cut and pasted several lines. We told them, still online, no attribution, no note. I expected better. Here's Stuart Bell of Global News just saying in response to your piece, so true. <laughs> This one's from Emma Graney from the Edmonton Journal. One example, last year I got a scoop on cannabis retailing in Alberta. The next morning on CBC Edmonton Radio, they said, according to a published report, the Alberta government is blah, blah, blah. I was absolutely ropeable. Happened to me more than once in Regina too. According to a published report, they might say that that is crediting uh, without actually crediting. Yeah, it's pretty lame. Crediting, at least. Um, here's Omar Mualam, who's uh, frequently on this show uh, hosting or co-hosting, a uh, journalist in Edmonton. I wish this was just a one-off, but unfortunately, I've seen the CBC pull this whackness a few times. Um, this one's from Tim Querengesser. He's written for The Walrus, The Globe, and The Atlantic. I have stories. I am not going to share them publicly. It's interesting that the freelancer is the one who's like not willing to uh, yeah. <laughs> go fully on the record with specific except examples. <laughs> yeah, except for you. <laughs> And, you know, in keeping with the Robert Fife thing, we heard from people from freelance journalists to people at the height of the profession, including Paula Simons, who, you know, had this incredible high profile story um, that won a national newspaper award. I mean, this is perhaps the foremost columnist in Canada. Mm -hmm. And she tweeted days after, like three or four days after I broke the Serenity story, CBC did a matcher that started the CBC has learned. <laughs> Why, yes, you learned it from the front page of the journal. <laughs> And I'll clarify for people listening. Um, she says CBC did a matcher. Now, this is interesting, and this is going to come up a lot in our conversation. A matcher is when, in order to steal a story, in order to um, not credit a story, what you do is you recreate the journalism, which is the most useless, redundant waste mm -hmm. of resources I can imagine, so that you're not just copying and pasting the other person's quotes you use their original report and it says, I got a quote from this official, I got a quote from this mother, I got a quote from this person. You track down those sources and then you ask them the exact same questions or similar questions. I mean, sometimes you could do a matcher where you actually progress the story and fill out parts and that's how it's supposed yeah. to work and that's great and you should still credit where you got it from. But then well, you're maybe not ask the same questions, right? And just delve further, right? Like well, that, was, that, I guess yeah. that's a question. Are you just doing a match or, or are you dedicating new resources to this because you think there's something new to get? If you're just doing it to avoid technically plagiarizing, that's what a matcher usually is. And that's okay. what was done to Paula Simons, as she says here. Why don't you read the next one from Andrew Potter, who used to be the editor-in-chief of the Ottawa Citizen. CBC stole one of our videos once after they asked for it. And I said, no, I called the editor to complain. He told me he had been told by his boss just to take it and claim fair use if anyone from Post Media complained. Well, that's interesting because here we have some accusation that at least secondhand, Andrew Potter heard that management was commanding reporters to withhold credit. And um, I've heard similar things, uh, people that didn't want to go on the record, but that it, it comes from uh, above, right? Or, yeah, or I think we're going to return yeah. to that. Because, like, I mean, okay. trying to figure out where in CBC this tendency comes from. Because we actually heard from some CBC journalists or former CBC journalists as well, as we'll get to. And fair use, that is the, um, the fair use exception in Canada. It's called fair dealing that allows you to um, use copyrighted material without permission in certain very specific circumstances. We make ample use of fair dealing in Canada land. I think that one of the requirements is credit, though. Mm -hmm. Here's Paul McLeod, who currently is reporting in Washington for BuzzFeed. CBC is notorious in Canadian reporter circles for flagrantly matching exclusive stories without attribution. We've all had it done to us. I don't blame the reporters. I've had CBC people tell me 
They hate it too, but it's the direction from up top. And the next tweet I'm going to ask you to read, Graham, is a CBC employee, David Cochran, responding to this allegation that the directive to not give credit comes from management. A sign to match stories happens all the time. Told not to attribute has never happened in any story meeting I've attended in 20 years or been said to me privately. Not saying we don't fail to attribute too often, but saying it's a directive is BS. Pretty strong words. Anyone who says that this is a directive for management is full of shit. Well, how does he know other than in the Ottawa Bureau, right? I mean, he probably doesn't get as many directives as newer employees too, right? So, Well, let's follow this through because then we get from Lauren O'Neill, who used to be at CBC and would have been in a position to receive directives, to Canada Land. Thanks for calling them out on this. Like, it's annoying when Global does it, but with the CBC, I feel like I'm paying them to steal my stories. I think she's speaking there now as an ex-CBCer that CBC has done this to her. It's so simple. One hot link. Even just unquote, as reported by anything. I've had attribution removed from my articles when I worked there. Isn't that interesting that she says that when she worked there, she would try to attribute people. And uh, there's an interesting dynamic here that I want to talk about, which is if you just hot link to their story, at least that's some minimal level of recognizing that this appeared somewhere first. And she followed up by saying, I was told that hot links looked messy. Don't link to the person that you're taking the story from because it makes your article look messy. And I mean, speaking to what David Cochran is saying, that there is no directive and to say that, that there was one is bullshit. I don't think that Lauren O'Neill, I have no reason to believe that Lauren O'Neill is lying about being told to remove links from she her She has articles. since deleted that tweet, I believe, though. Is that a fact? Yeah, I was just looking for it late last night. Okay, Graham, I think that at this point it's pretty clear this has been going on for a long time. And the way that it's spoken of is that kind of early shrug and like laughing at CBC, I think it's more serious than that, at least two reporters, because if you're at a certain level like Robert Fife, you can just laugh at the fact that this happens, Every, but you're still Robert Fife. Yeah. But if you put months into a story or if you broke a really big career making story and you need to make your career with the story, like this doesn't just happen with little items. And I think most recently it's happened with some of the biggest stories that have been reported. You've brought a couple to my attention that I didn't even know. I mean, you really do feel like if you hear them on the CBC first that, that they were CBC exclusive stories. I did not know until you pointed it out to me that the Jasper Atwal affair was actually broken by Candace Malcolm of the Toronto Sun, who is a fiery, anti-left, anti-CBC voice for the Toronto Sun and who I don't really associate with doing like original reporting that much. And I apologize if I haven't paid close enough attention to her work. But in this case, she certainly did. I'd like to say she does. She does bring a fair amount of original reporting. It's just ignored, I think, by a lot of left-wing media just because she writes for the Toronto Sun, right? It kind of gets overlooked, I think. But I'm mostly aware of her when she says something outrageous that I personally find yeah, she's gross and then we fight about it. Yeah. But I maybe have not given enough uh, attention to Candace Malcolm's work. <laughs> and the Jasper Outlaw affair was major, major news in Canada that uh, it turns out that she broke in her column. And then six hours after she wrote about this with the whole thing, the photos of Jasper Outwall, And to remind people, this is where... Jasper Atwal, who had uh, criminal history for attempted murder, shows up at this dignitary function in India yeah. on yeah, Trudeau's, would be assassin, would be hey, assassin yeah, yeah. shows up. I mean, you know, and she had, she had the pictures of him with Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. She had the uh, screen grab of, of the invitation itself. This was all in the Toronto Sun, and then six hours later, this is what people got on the National. It is Wednesday, February twenty-first, and this is the National. 
After letting a convicted criminal stand beside Sophie Gregoire Trudeau in India, the PMO takes action. CBC News learns the latest in a perplexing case. CBC News has learned a former member of an illegal Sikh separatist group has been invited to dine with Justin Trudeau. Terry Malevsky is breaking this story for us tonight. Terry, how did this happen and is he still going to the reception? Uh, well, he's apparently not going because uh, the invitation was suddenly withdrawn after CBC News asked the Prime Minister's office your question, how this happened. A, a speedy response said this, the High Commission is in the process of rescinding Mr. Atwal's invitation. Okay, Terry Malevsky in Ottawa. Thanks so much. Thanks. Graham, are you going to get me in trouble with Terry Malevsky again? Yeah, I don't want to start another spat with you guys, so... Uh... To make it clear to listeners, uh, that was all me that found this. <laughs> Jesse had nothing to do with it. Um, I want to take apart some of the language used in that. Uh, and, you know, that was condensed in our edit. That, that was all on the national. I think it's a fair representation of what was on the national and the way that they presented the story. Um, and I think this goes beyond just a failure to credit Candace Malcolm and the Sun. I think that there is some packaging and some language in that report that would lead any viewer to believe that this was a CBC exclusive story. That they broke it, right? That they broke it. If you take it apart, I mean, like, like here, let's just do this again. Let's listen to it again. It is Wednesday, February 21st, and this is The National. After letting a convicted criminal stand beside Sophie Gregoire Trudeau in India, the PMO takes action. CBC News learns the latest in a perplexing case. Okay, so they're, they're, they're kind of like uh, blurring it, like this has happened, but we've learned the latest. So Yeah, it's interesting. Perhaps turn, a, turn a phrase there, right? With, yeah. We've, we've learned the latest. Like th yeah. These facts, like they exist, but CBC has learned the latest. CBC News has learned a former member of an illegal Sikh separatist group has been invited to dine with Justin Trudeau. CBC has learned, you learned it from Candace Malcolm, the Toronto Sun. Terry Malevsky is breaking this story for us tonight. Terry, how did this happen? And is he still going to the reception? To be fair to Terry Malevsky, this is what Candace Malcolm is assuming, is that he was contacted after she reached out to the PMO and they asked for extra time uh, to respond to her. So at that point, I think they were maybe trying to do damage control and they knew that they could maybe get a better story out there through the CBC, right? And it's also a bigger platform. So he might have actually had those sources himself, but the fact of the matter is she still published her piece six hours before he did. So This is what I want to bear down on because this I think is really important um, because this does talk to you about how information moves. If Candace Malcolm is correct in her, I think, pretty reasonable assumptions about how this story progressed, she breaks the story. She has these damning images, proof that this had happened. She's doing her diligence as a journalist and goes to the PMO yeah. for comment. They recognize that this is horrible, this is going to blow up in their face, and their best chance of getting favorable coverage is not through Candace Malcolm and the Toronto Sun. Yeah. If you could choose who you want the story to come out through, that would be like, you know, you're going to get the most critical take possible. Well, and listen to how the story progressed too, right? Like, it's like the PMO is taking action. It's like, this just happened, what, how many hours ago? And like, now you guys are reporting how the PMO is reacting, right? The PMO is getting their message out there, right? Like... They are. And, yeah. and I think that if they were to decide, well, where do we want to get the story through? Let's give some exclusive information to the CBC. And in, and I guess it's in Terry's defense. He yeah. did have an exclusive. I mean, what's your exclusive? What's he breaking for the CBC? Yeah. He's breaking the news that the invitation to another 
uh, official event was rescinded. Yeah. That's not breaking this story. Breaking yeah. the story is breaking the fact that it happened. It seems like they focus more on the PMO's reaction than just telling the story of this happening. Like, this was the first report CBC had on this, that the National had on this. Yeah. And it was the second story. They buried it a little bit. And then they put the emphasis on- It was like on... the third or fourth story, actually, because oh, they had God. like a few segments- uh about Trump in the US, right? And then okay. and then they also had a David Cochran story on the pretty mundane stuff that happened in India that day too. So it was kind of bizarre that they would bury it that far into the broadcast. I right? think that if they actually had broken the story themselves, it would have been their lead story. Yeah. But th here they are, they're doing a, a kind of a incremental progression of a story broken by the Toronto Sun, who they, who they don't credit. They introduced Terry Molesky as breaking this story. The new information he has is that the PMO has been in touch with him uh, to let him know that they're rescinding this. And it seems pretty obvious that they were playing Candace Malcolm. Oh, give us some time to get back to you. And while Candace Malcolm is waiting, they bring this information to Terry. Now, that's not simply a matter of CBC failing to credit, and it's not simply a matter of CBC suggesting in a bunch of ways that the story is actually their exclusive. It also is the CBC allowing them to be utilized yeah. in a way that I think is concerning. They kind of had to lead with the PMO's talking points because that's what they had that was new to the story, right? Yeah, which doesn't really serve the viewer of like, we're going to tell the story through the lens of the new nugget that we have. Yeah. Well, the viewer of the flagship broadcast of the CBC maybe could use the story itself. Exactly. And doesn't care necessarily yeah. who who reported it. Another major Canadian news story, the Edmonton van attack. Rachel Brown of Vice, she was the first to find out that the suspected attacker in Edmonton had previously been ordered to be deported from the United States in 2011. So, you know, when there are acts of alleged terrorism, one of the first things that we want to know is, did the authorities know? Did something break in the security system between countries? Was there a possibility to prevent this? How are we being protected? And here's Rachel Brown saying, well, in fact, this is an attacker who was ordered deported from the U.S. in 2011. That night on the CBC. New information today about the Somali man accused in a weekend rampage in Edmonton. U.S. immigration says Abdullahi Hassan Sharif was ordered deported in the fall of 2011, but he failed to report back to officials in early 2012. And we know that he arrived at a Canadian port of entry sometime that same year, 2012, and was ultimately accepted as a refugee. But late tonight, the federal government told CBC News there was no information that would have raised red flags when Sharif entered Canada. Very similar thing going on there. Information exists. We've learned it. And new information. And the new information is there was nothing the government could have done about it. And you kind of see a pattern here whereby CBC is kind of like very happy to prioritize this exclusivity. And I don't think that this is a case of CBC intentionally trying to be used as a voice of the state. I think like any journalist, you are excited when you have something that nobody else has. And that sort of gets your most you know, fevered reporting. Yeah, yeah. But in effect, what's happening is when the government wants to get their side of the story through, they yeah. give it to the CBC. And, you're, and then you're just, you're not giving the viewer the best balanced story then, right? Like if, if you have to lead with that. I guess, I guess if there's a difference in what the viewer ultimately gets, uh, the reader, the listener ultimately gets, that's the important part, not necessarily whether it gets journalists' nose out of joint um, or hurts people's feelings. Though I, there are reasons why that might be important too. But that might be why this rises above kind of the like shrug it off and have a laugh at that silly CBC taking credit in the way that Fife did. I mean, he was critical, but he was also kind of mocking. And he wondered aloud to you, you know, they do it all the time. I assume it's to impress management because most Canadians wouldn't care less. Do Canadians care about who breaks their stories? What do you think?
No, I don't think so. I mean, like people I know that aren't in in the industry, they don't they don't really care. They just care about the story, right? I think um, that's most of the time. I think that's true. I think there's some rare yeah. occasions where people get into the story of how a story was broken, and, and you can. Yeah. I get Fife's point that we're so quick to like slap an exclusive, and you know we have learned, and all this language about how great we are is something that I I, I think in most cases people don't necessarily care about. So if readers don't care, why does this matter? Like, is this simply a case of vain journalists wanting to be? I mean, you know, we're not the story, right? You could almost imagine kind of like a ridiculous circumstance where like a lot of stories have many authors. Stories progress through the years. It's sort of the thing that Lauren O'Neill got of like hot links look messy. And there are various excuses that I've heard like uh, it's just clumsy to your writing, to your copy, to have to credit all these people, you know, as first reported here, you know, broken by so-and-so, and where does it end? What if somebody at another news organization had the second piece of information? I've heard this justification used that it's just too cumbersome to give credit, and readers don't care, so don't think that you're the story. Let's just report the news. Does it matter beyond just people wanting credit? I Yeah, I definitely think it does matter, um, because as a story evolves, right? I think it's important for the news consumer to know how it's evolved, right? And to be able to see how the news industry works. Especially with the CBC examples of how CBC gets new information in some cases, it's not an independent concern from the story itself. And how spin works and how different people try to get their stories out through different news organizations, whether or not you care at the time that you're being given the news for the first time, we are all collectively creating a public record and when you blur attribution, it makes it very difficult to figure out where things originated, where they came from, how they got twisted, when the public's mood shifted. And as people get more and more media savvy, I think that that is part of the news itself. I mean, the fact that the PMO went to CBC and not the Toronto Sun with comment on the Atwell story is itself of some minor news significance. Yeah, I would say for sure. It affects their coverage, right? Like, as you pointed out. And I think the other thing, too, is that there's an ethical aspect to this, too, right? Like, is it ethical to take somebody else's work and uh, basically pass it off as your own, right? Like, It's sort of a question of, like, ethics and also self-respect. If we are all, like, trying to get scoops, if we're trying to break news, you're kind of degrading the practice of journalism itself when you fail to give any value to that. I mean, it, it is incredibly dispiriting to put your weeks or months of work into a story and put your reputation on the line because when you're the first person breaking it, if it fails, if you got something wrong, you're, yeah. you take the, enti- the hit entirely. And after that whole process, have somebody else just sort of like write you out. And I think that that kind of has an effect on the whole ecosystem of like, how do we treat people who are trying, who are aspiring? How do we treat young people? How do we create a funnel whereby people can establish themselves and gain credibility? Like getting a big scoop is how you make your reputation. If nobody knows that it was your story, how do you level up? Those are Mm. internal concerns, but not insignificant concerns. They do speak to like the way that the industry works. The other thing too is CBC is a behemoth, right? In Canada. I mean, it's by far the biggest news outlet we have, right? And it's a public utility, right? Um, I see it as they should be cheerleading and doing complimentary coverage to what the private news outlets are doing, right? Like, I don't see why they need to be predatory and trying to take other people's work and not crediting her. It doesn't make sense to me. Let's talk about that for a minute, because one thing that a few people said as this was being discussed was that, like, CBC is not the only place that does this. And I think you could probably make a strong case that CBC is especially guilty Uh, And they're especially renowned for doing this. We don't have any kind of scientific empirical evidence where we've assessed everybody's accreditation. I've I've heard similar things about uh, other legacy media. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's part of the old guard. That's the 
standard practice. Standard practice, the ethos. And I think it does originate at a time when if you are dealing with news consumers who only get their news from CBC and then there's another group that only get their news from CTV – and then there's somebody who's only reading the Golden Mail and you don't want to lose them uh, and their subscription to the Toronto Star, why would you tell them that the competition even exists, let alone give credit to the competition? You're basically saying, how long before they say, well, maybe I should just be watching that newscast instead or reading that newspaper instead? That is the way that the business used to think. But these days, the idea that somebody would only get their news from one source is laughable. So I understand where it comes from. My sense is that the CBC is especially guilty of this sin, but I also feel that it's especially egregious when the CBC does it for reasons that you point to and that, you know, uh, Lauren O'Neill pointed to because we pay the CBC to do this stuff. So the best paid journalists in the country who are paid with your tax dollars are stealing your news stories and not crediting you. I think it's especially like, oh, fuck you guys, you know? Yeah. And they're guaranteed their $1.2 billion annual subsidy, right? So, I mean, they're not competing in the same way that these private news outlets are. Getting back to a, a refrain that has come up a lot on the show, and I think that what this whole conversation takes us to is why are they competing at all? When we hear from David Cochran saying, oh, there's no directive from on high to remove attribution, I think he's right to the extent that there's no like executive dictum saying we shall never give credit. And in fact, there's many, many cases of CBC giving credit. And some people at CBC pointed out, oh, we have a whole show that's all about highlighting the investigative work by other news organizations. You did go to the CBC for comment on like, what is your attribution policy? And um, their spokesperson, Chuck Thompson, got back to you. What did he say? So this is Chuck Thompson from the CBC. Simply stated, our practice is to give credit to any news organization that has broken a story where it exists nowhere else in the public domain or where we have not sourced it ourselves. So that's interesting. Let's take apart his language a little bit because, you know, it's one of those things that when you first hear it, simply stated our practice is to give credit. That's the first thing he says. Oh, that sounds like they got a pretty good attribution policy. Um, But the devil's in the details. To any news organization. Okay, to any news organization. So who's a news organization? Would Candleland count? Yeah, I don't know. Would Candleland count? Yeah, I don't know. Candleland has counted. Uh, They have credited us at times. Would uh, my the, blog count? Like I'm a freelancer. Yeah. Right? Would your yeah. blog count? Yeah. Would, if, I, if I had a breaking exclusive. It's pretty clear cut to me that if you are repeating a story that was broken by another news organization, credit them. But if somebody said something on Twitter, there are occasions where I have credited people and there's occasions where I've been told, oh, they don't want their name to be used as a source. Do I deal with them as a source? Like giving the information, but they said it in public. Here's a real quandary, Graham. Uh, and this happens with Frank's reporting a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of things that I know right now that I would love to report, but I'm not going to report them because I don't know that they're true. Like I'm 95% on them. They're not verified, right? And they may be months away from being verified to the point where we could report them as news stories. And some of them will never be reported because we won't get there. Even though they might be true, we just, we can't find independent sources. We can't go through the process of journalism to the point where they're verified. What if you deal with sources that don't have those standards? Frank is a publisher at times of unverified gossip. They are right a lot. Yeah. Okay. They will go with stories way before a news organization with different standards will go through a process of rigorously backing it up. Like if they're working on a story that we're working on and they run it before it's verified and they run it with like question marks and insinuations and suggestions. And then we go through the very difficult and sometimes, you know, hit a brick wall. But let's say we get there and we get our sources and we get it on the record and we firm it up. Do we have to credit the place that just like let it slip as a rumor? What if it's not Frank? What if it's just somebody tweeting that something happened? 
as first reported by anonymous Twitter account. They so, don't usually have sources, right? So that's that's where I would think you wouldn't really have to credit them. Right. Because... So like the standard then is like, okay, we're not going to talk about who's a news organization, who's not a news organization. We're going to talk about whether they had sources. That's going to be the standard. There is a legitimate issue when it comes to that kind of sourcing and that kind of credit. Graham, is there like a gold standard when it comes to this stuff? I mean, you've been looking into different news organizations' policies and practices. Is there sort of like, you know, we should aspire to behave like such and such an organization? Uh, yeah, from the Associated Press's uh, news value and principles, it reads, uh, when the material is exclusive, controversial, or sensitive, we always credit. I guess if it's exclusive material, that's pretty definitive. Controversial or sensitive is just a completely subjective notion. Yes, yeah, it, there's al always a gray area there, right? But um, Paul Vieira with the Wall Street Journal, he's the Ottawa correspondent. So he goes by American standards, right? So he said, Chuck Thompson's statement suggests they don't have to credit competitors if they find out info later. Here's the deal. If you're reporting on a story after it's reported somewhere else and you confirm it, it is your obligation to credit the scooper. Um, by all accounts, it seems like yeah. this is a Canadian problem. Like I'm sure it happens in the States, but a lot of American journalists and a lot of Canadians who've written for American publications have shared the thought like this is bad in Canada. There's a lack of professional courtesy. Except for uh, a couple uh, exceptions were two originally American publications, right? Vice and BuzzFeed. Um, yeah, Dylan Robertson, uh, back in 2016, he did a, or he wrote a JSource article and he surveyed um, a bunch of Canadian English language newsrooms um, on their policies and BuzzFeed and Vice, they practice the same policy that most major news outlets in America practice, right? Like When they opened up shop in Canada, they brought with them American policies around credit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Graham, there is sort of like a wider existential question about the practice of journalism that this all has to do with. Some of it is specific to the CBC, but I think it's really a larger question for what we do, which has to do with a progressive movement towards more collaborative journalism. And there's a lot of excitement around the idea of bringing to journalism a lot of the practices of like open source computer programming. So you got like this uh, ethic that is, you know, with enough eyes on it, any bug is shallow, right? That there's mm -hmm. no error that can withstand a lot of people trying to fix a problem or locate an error. Journalism has always kind of worked like that. I mean, in a way, programming took that from journalism, that somebody breaks a story, somebody evolves it a little bit further. If something was wrong somewhere along the line, that's the occasion for somebody else to come up with a story. Like an incentive system that rewards new information, reporting new stuff. And in an idealized version of this, you're just sort of constantly creating a better version of what happened. And it's been a long time that we've been talking idealistically about that kind of model. The only manifestation of it that I think has endured and proven really robust is actually Wikipedia. Really? Uh, I would say so. Like, you can publish anything you want on a Wikipedia article. You can put any bullshit you want up. It won't last very long. When news breaks, the live version of the story as a Wikipedia page is like sometimes a surprisingly accurate document of what is known about an, about an issue. And then to this idea of, of hyperlinking, accreditation is built into the internet. A whole system of links is, you know, uh, some sort of dynamic automated version of attribution and credit. This is both a technological question and I think a philosophical question for news. 
I don't know how you reorient a culture where everybody starts to think about like, how can we create a baseline of well-reported professional journalism that anybody else can build on and take it and extend and apply to their community? Uh, and we can have accreditation so that CBC gets its proper credit, but we are a good actor and a cooperator in a news ecosystem. That I think is a specific question of the CBC, but it's also sort of a general question for the practice and the profession itself. Yeah. So I think CBC has the capability to do that, right? Like, why not do that? They're kind of reassessing CBC's mandate, right? Right now, mm -hmm. uh, they just have a new president, at least on the English side of CBC. New new board, new president. Yeah. So I would hope that they would look into this more, right? And uh, maybe look at changing their policy and uh, promote other journalists' work and uh, give credit where credit is due. That'd be great. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I do read all of the emails you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website where we post original journalism all the time is canadalandshow.com. There is a new episode of Oppo going up this week. There's also a new episode of The Imposter online right now. It is about the people who write the scripts, such as they are, for pornography. It's actually a really great episode. Go check it out. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication of Canada Land is provided by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Check them out online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.